school class can be dismissed. You may be seated for a moment. Actually, why don't you stay standing? We're going to go into the word of the Lord. And just out of honor to his word, we're going to stand. chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 17. It's one verse of scripture. Matthew 4 and 17. And I'm reading from the New Living. Then on, from then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. We're going to talk this morning about the first message that Jesus preached in his ministry. Why don't we pray and ask God to touch us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word and pray that your spirit would move in our midst. Lord, we want to see a great revival, a mighty breakthrough of your spirit in our lives. And we turn to you, Lord. We turn to you and seek your face this morning that you would direct us and Pour your spirit out upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. The first message that Jesus preached in his ministry was not on the love of God. It's a great topic, a good message to preach. It wasn't even on how to live your best life, you know, the best best way to live your life today, a very practical kind of message. The first message Jesus preached wasn't do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule. Again, a great message, great topic, great content. And Jesus didn't even necessarily perform any miracles on his first sermon that he preached. And uh, although he did many miracles in his ministry and and again, a sermon or message on the validity of miracles and that God does still do miracles is a great message, a great topic to preach about. But it wasn't the, the first message that Jesus preached. In fact, if you look at a lot of the uh, first messages that are preached by different prophets and preachers of the scripture, you'll discover that there is a consistent theme in every one of their sermon topics. John the Baptist, for example, did not preach about, uh, you know, uh, the, the political system of his day. He didn't go on to, to condemn them right away. That wasn't his first message. But John's first message and Jesus' first message was... Repent. That was the topic. That was the key word in their ministry. It marked their ministry by the first thing they said and often the thing that they repeated from that point forward was to repent. Mark chapter 4 verse 1 verse 14. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1 verse 14 says later on after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. 
And the good news was this, the kingdom of God is near, so repent of your sins and believe the good news. You might say, well, pastor, he preached a message on good news. Yes, and the good news was repent. That was his good news for the day. When John came out of the wilderness in Matthew 3, if you've been following along in your Bible reading, you might have read that this week. And if not, no problem. Just pick it up and start reading it this week. No big deal. But you might have read that in Matthew 3 if you're following the adult, uh, the adult chart. It takes you through the book of Matthew in the first week of January. And, 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 and John preached in those days coming out of the Judean wilderness and began preaching. And his message was, Matthew 3, verse 2, repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent and turn. Repent and turn. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. If you follow along as you continue throughout the New Testament, you'll hit a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus who was converted by a, a shining light that, that knocked him off his horse on the road to Damascus. And, and uh, the, 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 the messenger spoke to him. It was the Lord Jesus and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And the long story short was that Paul was converted. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, healed of his blindness, baptized in Jesus' name. And his first message that he preached in Acts 13 was this. Brothers, listen. Acts 13, verse 38. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. He preached a message of repentance. Peter's first message that he preached in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. This was Peter's first sermon. And the first thing out of his mouth when the people turned to him and said, what are we going to do? Peter laid out for them the problem. He laid out for them that they had crucified the Lord Jesus. And when it came to the climax of his message, what was the point? What was the reason? Peter, what are we going to do about this problem? You present, presented to us the problem that we have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ our Messiah. So what shall we do? And Peter's words pierced the heart, the Bible says, and they said to them, what should we do? In verse 38, Peter responded, he said, each of you must repent. Each of you must repent. At the climax of his message, Peter's point, the thing he was building to, was to repent. And so, in the spirit of these great men of God, and God himself manifested in the flesh, on this first Sunday, we are gathering together at Pentecostal Lighthouse Church on January the 7th, 2024. The message I want to preach to you about is first, repent. Before you do anything else this year, before you seek God for miracles, signs, and wonders, before you seek Him for a spiritual breakthrough, which we so desperately need in our lives, and before you seek Him for what you need and what you'd like to see happen in this year of 2024, the first thing we must all do is repent. That message, while it sounds very, perhaps normal to us in the church was very abnormal 
to the Jews of Jesus' day. See, for them, they, had, they didn't see the need to repent. They were already following God. They were already living for God, right? They were the Jews, after all. They were children of Abraham. They were the law keepers. I mean, they were better off than these weird Gentiles that had multiple deities that they worshipped to and practiced all kinds of sinful deeds and acts within their temples and called that worship. Not only that, but they ate unclean food. They practiced unclean habits and lived unclean lifestyles. So the Jews would look at the surrounding nations and say, but we're not like the rest of the world. What exactly do we have to repent of? They served in the temple. They were God's chosen people. So why, why would they need to repent? This message came as a shock to many of the Jews of that day. Why would this be the first message you preach to us, Jesus? What, what is the reason for this? We are the Jews. We are the chosen people of God. Why do we need to repent? Repent of what? What are we doing wrong? What exactly are we doing that is not pleasing to God? This doesn't make any sense. And many, of course, got incensed and offended at this message. As it is very easy to do when you're very religious and you consider yourself to be holy and righteous. And so when someone comes along and points out the fact that you, yes, you, need to repent. Yes, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. Not my neighbor, not, my, not, not the person down the street, not the prisoner on death row, not the one on trial, not the one that's on their latest TikTok saying their crazy spiel online. No, not them, Lord. It's me that stands in the need of prayer and repentance this morning. Matthew chapter 3 verse 8 says, Prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Listen to the message John the, Revel John, John the Baptist sorry, says to the listeners at the bank of the Jordan River. He says, don't just say to another, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. See, see John was pointing at something that was bigger than just their family heritage. It was bigger than just the religion that they ascribed to. Oh, well, I'm Christian. Oh, I'm Catholic. Oh, I'm Protestant. Oh, I'm, I'm Presbyterian. Oh, I'm Pentecostal. Oh, I'm apostolic. Because we can use all the buzzwords. It's no different than calling yourself a Catholic. It's no different than calling yourself a, a Presbyterian. We can use the word Pentecostal and say, well, I'm Pentecostal. What do I need to repent for? I'm apostolic, after all. I've got the, the dress code down and the lifestyle down and the, the, I've got the attitude down and I, I say the right things and, and uh, uh, hi at the right moments and, and uh, you know, I can speak in tongues and I can do all the things, but what do I need? And, and, and I hear... The, the voice of John the Baptist say, don't just say that because you're apostolic that you don't need to repent or you're safe because you're apostolic. No, that means nothing for God can create apostolics out of these very stones. God can create a Christian out of out of the rocks on the street. If he created a man out of the dust in the ground in, in the book of Genesis, surely he can do it again and 
and stamp them as apostolic or Christian or whatever. Verse 10, he said something very strong that, that you don't hear this preaching very often where John said, even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Because every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. What John was doing was he was pointing out the spiritual condition. We can often look at our pedigrees. We can look at our upbringings. We can look at our, our, our checklist and say, well, I've got everything marked down. I've got everything tickety-boo. But, but the heart, the condition of the heart, is that submitted and yielded before the Lord. In the, later on in the epistles, the letters written to the early church, Paul would, would go on to demonstrate that the children of Abraham are not just those who claim to be Jews. But the children of Abraham are those who are righteous before God because of their faith. That it's the spiritual condition of your heart that makes you a child of Abraham. What made Abraham significant before God? It wasn't the fact that he circumcised himself in covenant to God. It wasn't simply because he did all the right things and followed all the rules. No, it was because Abraham had faith in God and God counted it to him as righteousness. There was a spiritual transaction that took place in Abraham's heart that said, God, your word is true and I'm going to walk as though your word is real and true in my life. There was a spiritual happenings and there was a spirit of faith that happened in Abraham that caused him to be recognized as righteous before the Lord. It wasn't the fact that these Jews were children of Abraham by, by birth that made them righteous before God. That didn't mean anything. God even said the tree has overgrown and is no longer producing fruit. And so the tree needs a pruning. The tree needs to be cut down and a new root needs to grow, a new, a new branch needs to come out of that tree because the existing tree is not bearing fruit. It looks like the right tree. It has all the appearances of the tree, but it's not bearing any fruits of repentance. It's not demonstrating. There's something on the heart that's not demonstrating the condition of the heart. It's not being demonstrated in the life of that person. I love how John and Jesus both, both preached to the rich and to the poor. They preached to the people on the street. They, re, they preached to the respectable Jews who believed that they were already in God's kingdom. They preached to the farmers in the field. They preached to the political leaders of their day. They preached to the temple leaders and the keepers of the law. They preached this message to everybody because guess what? The message of repentance is applicable to every person at every stage of their walk with God. You can be the general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International and still need to hear the message to repent and turn to God because the kingdom of God is at hand. You can be the pastor of a church, the teacher in a Sunday school program. You can be the one who cleans the bathrooms at the church or you can just be the first time guest that comes to a church service and the message of repentance is applicable to everybody on every walk of life in every stage of their walk with God because we all need to repent when Jesus talked to the woman 
who was caught in the act of adultery, he preached repentance first to her accusers. Because after all, how often do you catch somebody in the act of adultery? How often is that? That's, that seems like it would be, you'd find the evidence of it after the fact, right? You'd find the text messages, the, you'd put the pieces together after, you'd find the evidence of, of what had happened. But rarely do you find someone in the act of adultery. So isn't it interesting that at just the right moment, this group of religious men catches this woman in the act of adultery. It's speculated that they had set it up to trap Jesus. That it wasn't so much an act of her, her uh, impropriety, but it was a setup so that they could catch Jesus in an unjust application of the law. And Jesus, knowing this, preaches first to the accusers. What does he say? You who is without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Because they could not righteously throw the stone at this poor woman. They dropped the stones and left her to talk to Jesus by herself. Then Jesus turned and preached the same message to her. Go and sin no more. That's what repentance means. Go and change the way that you live. See, it doesn't matter where you fall in the economic world, you need to repent. It doesn't matter if you're famous and have boatloads of talent and ability, you need to repent. It doesn't matter if you're a powerful political leader and, and about to take on a nation and, and try to win a political election, you need to repent. If you're a single mom, guess what? You need to repent. If you're a, sing, a successful businessman, you need to repent. If you're a pastor, a teacher, a leader, a saint, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, you need to repent. What is repenting? What is repenting? Repenting starts first with faith. After all, you cannot Turn to God unless you first believe that he is and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So repentance first comes with honesty and faith. Faith in God's word. When God looks at you and says, your life is not where it ought to be. That takes faith to believe that. And then humility and honesty to go, you know what, God? <laughs> You're right. You're right. It starts with honesty and a change of mind, acknowledging you're on the outside of God's kingdom. You find that you're lacking something. The, the word of God points out a spiritual deficit in your life. Maybe it's a deficit of honesty. Maybe it's a, a deficit of dedication and consecration to God. Maybe it's a, a deficit in the way that you live, a choice that you've made or are making even now. Maybe it's in the way that you speak or the, the places that you go or the, the recreations that you engage in or the, the activities that you do. Whatever it is that does not line itself up with God's word and is a sin it is on the outside of God's best for you. God's best for you is to be separated from the world and, and walking in holiness and righteousness before him. 
And you might look at that and say, well, that's, imperf that's impossible. I'm, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time. Yes, yes, you do. Yes, I do too. That's why we need to repent. But repent comes with the step of honesty to acknowledge, yes, Lord, I've sinned. Yes, Lord, I've, I've missed the mark in my walk in relationship with you. And so then I confess that sin. Some churches have gotten that a little bit turned around. They said, well, you've got to confess to a pastor, a priest, or a minister, and then they can, they can absolve you of your sin. Well, the Bible tells us to confess our sins to Jesus. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our, our sins. So you don't have to confess your sins to pastor. Now, if you want to have accountability, that's a good place to start. And sometimes it, you need a little help to overcome temptation. You need a little accountability, a friend that can come alongside you and love you and, 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 and validate you. You know what? You make mistakes, but so does everybody else in the world, right? Sometimes we need that. But it's not essential for you to be forgiven. What's essential for you to be forgiven is to confess that you have a sin in your life before God. It's against you, Lord, David said, that I sin in Psalm 51. It's against you and you alone that I've, I've, I've missed the mark in my life and my walk with you. And it's, it's, it's only against you. And so, Lord, I'm coming to you to confess my sins. And the Bible says if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But it's not enough just to confess. I must take action. I must walk differently. I, I must turn around from that, that action and turn back to God. See, God has boundaries. God has boundaries. God has boundaries. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, a boundary is, a, is like a white picket fence. You ever see those white picket fence around a property line? What does the boundary do? It lets you know where that person's property begins and where it ends. And it also lets you know how to get on that property. Because usually there's a, a gate on the fence. And the gate is either open or closed. And if it's open, then it, it bids you welcome. You're allowed to enter through the gate. Now, if you decide to hop over the fence, the dogs are probably going to come running. You know, they're going to they're gonna know you didn't come in the right way. If you, you come through the gate, they might just come up and sniff you and bark friendlyly or whatever, depending on the dog and what they're there for. <laughs> but that, that boundary line lets you know where the boundary is and how to get on the property. You also know that if the gate is locked or closed, well, that means you're not really welcome at this particular time. Maybe try again later or call first. God said it like this in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God presents the condition and what's he, what he's willing to do about it. If you will humble, then I will hear. If you will pray and seek, I will forgive. 
if you will turn from your wicked ways, then I will heal your land. In other words, God has said your sin has brought separation. Your, your sin has, has brought a separation where I can no longer hear you. Your sin has also brought on an offense. It's, it's crossed the boundary line of our relationship. And the sin has also damaged you. Just so you know, all sin damages you. All sin, somewhere along the line, will affect you personally. It will bring some kind of a chaos, some kind of a brokenness, some kind of a longing or lack in your life that needs to be healed. And God said, this is what sin has done to us. It's separated us. It's brought an offense in our relationship. And it's also hurt you in the process. Isaiah 59 verse 2 tells us that our iniquities have separated us between our God. It's brought a separation between us and God. And he's hid his face from us so that he will not hear. Our, our sin puts a divide between us. It's, a, it's, an, it's not so much a heaven or hell issue. I've heard people say this. Well, pastor, if I do this, will, it, will I go to hell? Well, pastor, if I, if I don't do this, will I, will I still go to heaven? Or will, I, will God send me to hell? And I think that's the wrong question. The question is not, are you going to go to heaven or hell? The question is, are you in a relationship with God? Or are you out of a relationship with God? Think of a marriage, right? Nobody walks around going, if I do this, will my wife divorce me? If I don't put the dishes away like she asked me to, is she going to go to the lawyers tomorrow? Well, she might, but it won't be because you didn't do the dishes. Right? That won't be the reason. Because there's a long-standing pattern in the relationship of broken trust. and It's more than just the dishes. It's, it's often not about the problem. There's often something else beneath the surface. There's a, a boundary problem. There's a relationship problem. For example, name-calling is not okay in a marriage relationship, right? But a boundary would be to say, if you continue to speak to me this way, I will not be speaking to you until you can calm down and use appropriate words with me. Don't call me names and don't raise your voice at me. And until you can do that, we will not be talking. There will be silence in the house. Does that mean the relationship is over? No. But the sin between you, the name calling, the yelling, the arguing, the bickering, has caused a separation in the relationship. And until that breach has been bridged, that separation remains. Right? Having a relationship with someone else outside of your marriage vows is not okay. That's a boundary line. You don't cross that line. That's a, that's a vow, a, a commitment you made to each other. And so that, that line remains drawn in the sand. And when that line is crossed, there, be, there comes into the relationship a great separation, and sometimes it's so great it can end the relationship. Well, God is just like that. I mean, he created us in his image after all, so he has boundaries. Things that don't necessarily end our relationship, but they put a separation between us. They put a divide in between us. Isaiah 58 verse 
54 verse 8 says, In overflowing anger and for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you. God demonstrates that our sin causes him to hide his face from us and turn away because it brings anger and a separation, a divide between us. But thankfully God is not bound to his anger forever because he said in, in everlasting love, I have compassion on you. I turn back to you and beckon you to come to me. How does he do that? He calls us to repent. So we humble ourselves. Humble ourselves means that I acknowledge God is good and I am not. God is God and I am his creation. His laws, his precepts, his words, and his commands are right, and I submit myself to those things. He is the source, and I'm the one in need. His ways are right. My ways tend towards wickedness, crookedness, brokenness, and don't often work out the way I want to. God is perfect, but I am not. Do you see how repentance starts with humility? And often that is the tripping line for many people where they don't want to acknowledge I'm not perfect and I don't have it all together. They don't want to acknowledge that God is good and, and I am not good. We all like the idea that there's a little bit of goodness in everybody. There's, there's, there's a seed of goodness in everyone, but the Bible declares that there is a problem with the heart, that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. You know, you can do what seems to be the right thing, but still have the wrong reason behind it all. That's why the Bible says that the scripture is the discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Someone can do the right thing and lead a whole nation of people into deception, that they are righteous and good, but the, the word of God will go in and discern, actually there's an intention behind everything they're doing, that's still sin. And we look at that, you can look at that and get rather hopeless. How is, well, how could I ever measure up? You can't. You can't. That's why you need to repent. That's why you just need to acknowledge the fact, God, you've got it all together and I don't. Your word is good and, and I'm trying, but like Paul, I try to do good, but evil is present with me. I try to do the right thing, but God, often I find myself doing the wrong thing. And I may do the right thing and then congratulate myself. Oh, I'm so good. I'm so righteous. And then I've committed the sin of pride and I'm right back where I started all over again. Because sin is that ever-present part of our nature. I must continually submit to God. I think the word repentance gets a bad rap. I think it gets a, 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 a negative connotation. We often associate repentance with shame. They're not the same. Shame is actually a damaging kind of attitude. It's not godly. Shame doesn't produce godly sorrow. Repentance can produce godly sorrow. Shame is what pushes you deep into the ground to hide from God. Shame is what came on Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And when God finally confronted Adam, he said, Adam, why didn't you come when I called you? And Adam said, well, I was naked and ashamed. And God asked Adam the question, 
Who told you you were naked? Who shamed you? Who is the one who spoke those things to you? God pointed out to Adam that shame has a source and it's not him. Shame has a source and it's not the word of God. Shame has a source and it's not God. Shame's source comes from Satan himself. Shame comes from the idea that God could never forgive a wretch like you. God could never love someone as evil and wicked. And if you weren't really evil, God would surely love you. And, 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 and you better not step foot on the, the door the, the, the doormat of the church because God will judge you uh, instantly and you'll be struck with lightning or some kind of terrible thing will happen to you when you come into the presence of God because you're not perfect and you're so wicked and so wretched. That's shame, ladies and gentlemen. And that is not of God. Humility says, God, I'm broken and I'm turning to you because you are the one that has the answer for my problem. I must humble myself and God says, when they humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear. When we humble ourselves and say, God, I'm in need of your forgiveness. I'm in need of your cleansing. I'm in need of your direction. I don't have it all together. Do you know when you, whenever you pray and you turn to God, that's repenting? When you turn to God in prayer and say, Lord, I need you today. I could, I could really mess it up today. I need you to whisper in my ear when I'm about to go the wrong direction. When my mouth is about to open up and clap back to that person who just said something nasty to me. God, I need you to just help me close that mouth and keep it on the inside. And then me and you just deal with those things in my heart. That anger, that rage, that, that problem in my heart. Lord, we'll deal with that. I need you, Jesus. <laughs> James chapter 4 verse 6 says, He giveth more grace. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. Do you know what grace is? Grace is like a set of stairs. You have no way to get from point A to point B, so grace is the stairs that helps you to take one step at a time. Grace is that ability to do what you cannot do for yourself. Yes, we call grace the unmerited favor of God. But it's actually, the, 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 the grace of God is actually the thing that, need, that helps you get up and start turning back to him. Do you know what grace is? Grace is that tap on your shoulder that says, why don't you take some time and pray this morning? That urge to pray. That urge to open your Bible and read. That's what grace is. Grace helps you get from point A to point B. And the Bible says God gives more grace to the humble. When you humble yourself and you come down to, to the reality of your condition and you look at yourself and say, God, I'm prone to angry words. I'm prone to, to critical thoughts. I'm prone to a judgmental attitude. I'm prone, Lord God, to be proud of my achievements and my accomplishments. God, I'm, I'm prone to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. God, I'm, I'm prone to lust or to, to some kind of vice or, or, or sin in my life. I, and I need you. Oh, I need you. Then the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And save us such as be of a contrite spirit. When we come to God with humility and say, yes, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. I need 
your redemption. I need your touch in my life. It's not a shameful thing. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be embarrassed. You don't even have to tell anybody. That's the beautiful thing about it. Nobody has to know the struggle that's going on in your heart between you and God. But if you bring that to Him and you confess those things to Him, the Bible says He meets you there with grace. He's drawn to those who are of a humble heart and a contrite spirit. He's drawn to you in your moment of humility and surrender to God. You turn your face toward God. Listen to David's prayer. Psalm 51 verse 9, he said, Hide my face, hide thy face from my sin, and blot out mine iniquities. God, instead of hiding your face from me, instead hide your face from what I've done, and turn your face towards me. Shine down on me, God. Shed the light of your presence in my life. Cast me not away from your presence, David says, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. But then I must turn from my wicked ways, humble myself, seek his face, and turn from my wicked ways. There's a moment where I've got to throw off the old sinful nature and the old way of life which is corrupted and, and by lust and deception and, and let the Spirit renew my thoughts and my attitudes. Put on the new nature, Ephesians 4.24, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Don't let anger control you. Don't let the sun go down on, your, on you while you're still angry. If you're a thief, quit stealing. If you use foul and abusive language, stop. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Don't bring sorrow to God's spirit by the way you live, but be identified as one of his own. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn and pray. Seek God's face. So on this first Sunday of January, this first Sunday of the year, I think it's a time for repentance. Repenting doesn't mean you're a terrible person. Repenting just means you're human. You're just like pastor. Because I need some time this morning to repent and turn to God. Do you know what the word repent means? If you translate it from the Greek to the English, it means to, to make a 180 degree turn and look the other way. That's it. It's, it's what, what the old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn away. The question is, is, is you're all on the altar. Are you surrendered to God this morning? Do you let the Spirit control your life and your heart? Do you let the Spirit control your actions and your, your decisions, your choices this morning? We're going to take some time to pray around the altar this morning. And I urge you to come. Humble yourself before the Lord. Take some time to seek His face. And turn to Him. Turn away. You say, Pastor, I don't, I don't necessarily know if I have anything specific to repent of. But it, it's still good to come and say, Lord, I turn towards you. 
I turn away from the way that I'm thinking. It might even be good for you to come around this altar and pray with somebody else and say, Lord, bless this person that's praying here this morning. Would you touch them? Would you touch them and bless their life? Would you come upon them and minister to them? Can we stand this morning? I wonder if we'd make our way to this altar. At the beginning of January, would you rededicate yourself to Jesus? Reconsecrate yourself to Jesus. Turn to Him. Turn away from the things of this world. Turn away from the mindsets that lead us away from God and turn towards the Lord this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus.